I think a nice little model is learn, test, review, tweak, repeat. Learn, test, review, tweak, repeat. Power to live more with Joe Dodds. Welcome to the Power to Live More podcast, all about productivity, organisation, well-being, energy and resilience. I'm Jo Dodds and I started this show to enable interesting people to share their stories about how they use their power to live more and by that I mean to do the stuff that they want to do more than the stuff that they need to or should do. It's about creating a life for yourself where you have the energy, health and space to be happy and fulfilled, spending your time as you'd like, whether that be at work, home or somewhere else entirely. That's your choice. Hello, my name is Ellie Dodds and I am co-presenter and today Joe is interviewing Rob Moore, the disruptive entrepreneur. Joe had a bit of a shock at the beginning of the interview as Rob was going to broadcast it live and she just got back from a deep tissue massage so she wasn't in any fit state to be on camera so Rob did the live on his own. Rob is a self-made property investor, businessman, entrepreneur, best-selling author, world record holder, speaker, pilot and proud dad who co-owns seven companies in property lettings and finance. He's interviewed dozens of high performers from Dom Jolly to Jackie Stewart for his podcast, The Disruptive Entrepreneur, which has over 350,000 subscribers in 160 countries and has over 200,000 downloads per month. One of the UK's top influencers, he has 775,000 subscribers and followers on email and social media. Robert's part partnered with many of the biggest businesses and household names, featured in prime TV shows for a living as a business mentor on Channel 4, the BBC, The Independent, The Daily Mail and The Business Channel, as well as mentoring success-hungry people who want to achieve more money and recognition in business and life. He lives in Peterborough, lives and loves entrepreneurship and property investing and is the host of the successful UK podcast, The Disruptive Entrepreneur and Money. He's on a mission to change the way people think about business and aims to support people around the globe through the Rob Moore Foundation. All his profits from his book money go to the foundation. A self-made multi-millionaire by the age of 30, having risen to riches from being heavily in debt in his 20s, Rob has retired and unretired countless times, each time creating a new innovation, vision, book or entire company. Back to the studio. Today I'm interviewing Rob Moore of The Disruptive Entrepreneur. It's great to have you with me, Rob, and uh, it's uh, interesting that uh, you're doing a live while we're speaking and I'm not participating because I didn't know you were going to be doing it and I've had a deep tissue massage. I've got creases all over my face, my hair is sticking up and I look very greasy, but I'm feeling good. (laughs) So lovely to have you with me. Um, Start by telling us a bit about who you are, what you do and where you do it. Okay, so uh, I guess you could call me an entrepreneur. Uh, I guess you could define an entrepreneur as someone who has a passion for more than one business, uh, someone who takes a risk to make a profit. Uh, I started in property probably, wow, I think we were early 2006, late 2005. So however many years that is ago, it seems like a long time ago now. Uh, I bought um, dozens and then into the hundreds of properties um, for myself, partners, and that we manage all no money down with a business partner. 
Uh, and as I got more into property, I actually had more of a passion for general business. Started writing books, doing podcasts, public speaking. I've done 1,300, I think, now public speeches. I broke three world records for public speaking. Uh, yeah, so that brings me where I am today. I think I've written now 15 books. I uh, turned 40 this year, so I, I had a big midlife crisis. Uh, and that's me. Wow. So we'll unpick some of that uh, with obviously talking productivity. It sounds like you've got a lot of tips for us, given how much you do. My first question, though, is what, what were the world records? Um, so the first one was for the longest individual speech, which was 47 hours straight. And then the, the second two were the longest team speech marathons where there was me and um, some other people and they were sort of 120 plus hours. I'm going for another world record later this year as well because I haven't done one for a while. I like to challenge myself to do bigger things, um, yeah. things that are hard, you know. Yeah, I mean, I talk a lot, but I'm not sure I could do it for that long <laughs> and sound interesting. <laughs> so tell us. And also, where, where are you based and, what, and are you in an office? Do you work from home? Do you work from various places? Yeah, so I've made myself mobile. I wrote a book called Life Leverage, um, and that's about creating a mobile lifestyle so I can work from my phone or my laptop anywhere in the world. And over the last few years, I've travelled a lot with my son's golf because he played in various world championships from a very young age. Um, but I also have offices and training facilities. We have about 80-something staff and... We can fit maybe 450 people in our training suites and we're based in Peterborough. Um, but I wanted to, I mean, I want a physical office to build a, a kind of an empire based business, but I also want to be free and remote. I kind of exist in a paradox there. Um, but for me, that's important to have both options. Yeah. So tell us why you do what you do. I think from having uh, done a bit of research that you have had various things happen in your life that have prompted what you do now and I think you know most people who do so many different things successfully have got you know an interesting backstory uh, obviously we've not got that long <laughs> but uh, why why do you do what you do um, I want to help as many people across the planet get better financial education I want to help them start their business I want to help them scale their business uh, I want to help them self-actualize and, and become the person that they want to become. I want to help them grow. Um, I want to help them make more money if that rocks their world. Um, and that's also linked to maybe I feel unfulfilled and I feel like there's more for me to give to the world. That mostly stems from when I was younger and I was very overweight and I felt I was really bullied, especially emotionally. I think I wasn't as much as I thought I was, but I certainly felt it. I was the, the, the largest kid in school and that didn't, um, that wasn't good for swimming lessons. That wasn't good for rugby. Uh, and so I think there's still a hole in me that needs to have more recognition, to feel valued and giving value. Um, and I suppose I get to exercise that through my books, podcasts, my businesses. Uh, and so it's a, it's a, a fine balance between wanting to do good in the world and wanting to make money myself and continually trying to fill a void in my life. And I did beat myself up a lot about that, Joe, over the years, feeling like that made me a bad person or a weak person. But I think we're all trying to fill our voids through our work. Um, because if they were full, then we'd go on and do something else because we wouldn't need to do them anymore. So I guess I'm turning in some ways my past pain into now pleasure and profit. Uh, and in the world of social media and information marketing, 
I think it's a, a better time than ever to be able to publish and promote and um, you know mentor and run courses and training, which is a big part of my business model. So I, I feel like um, I've got much more work to do. How did you identify that it was filling that void? That's quite a, a, an insightful, self-aware conclusion to have reached, which many people don't get to. I think one, because I've studied voids and values through axiology and reading material from people like John Demartini. And I think too, um, you know, when people say, oh, well, it's never enough. And, you know, you hit a goal and then you feel unsatisfied and you've got to hit another. And there's this endless pursuit. Well, I started to feel that and I wondered, how do I cope with that? You know, do I need to look at becoming more happy and satisfied? Or is that a natural part of life and my personality? And I tried to figure all that out. And that's a paradox. On the one hand, if I didn't have that constant desire for more, I'd stop after I've written one book. I'd stop after a few podcast episodes. I'd stop once, made my first million. I made my first million um, just after the age of 30. I'd stop after my 5 million, 10 million, 20 million. But I never seemed to want to stop. So I, I sort of had to try and... Um, embrace that, dance with that, accept that. And once I did, I saw it as a gift, not a curse. I.e., it's exciting to know that today I want to do more and achieve more. And that um, there's always another level. There's always someone ahead of you. There's always more you can do. And that excites me now, whereas I used to think it was a, a weakness or an endless, empty pursuit before. I don't see it that way anymore. I mean, I believe the the function of humanity is to grow, is to evolve. And and for us to do that, we need to become the best person we can be, self-actualise, become the greatest potential. And that's growth. And we we make our greatest feats through our biggest challenges. So they're all linked. Absolutely. And and how... How did you end up doing all the things that you want to do? And I think back, you talked about being at school and, you know, when when we're at school, we often don't know what we want to do or we have fixed ideas of sort of fixed jobs like, you know, nurse, firefighter, doctor, whatever, whatever that might be. I don't suppose you were at school thinking that you were going to write books, be a property no. expert, you know, be no. an entrepreneur necessarily. I mean, I was no. listening to something yesterday saying, or that, you know, I don't know, a government person saying that they, they want to, pay off debt so that students become more entrepreneurial and all that sort of stuff and you know we we'd never really talked about that 30 years ago did we that we wanted people to be entrepreneurs clearly you are one how did you end up in all the different areas that, that you're currently in well i think the first thing i love about being an entrepreneur or a business person or being self-employed and not employed is you've got the autonomy flexibility freedom creativity and the backing of the government to do that Now, I know a lot of people moan about the government, but I'm not going to because the limited company structure protects you personally. Um, So you can take risks and you're protected. Um, There are lots of tax breaks as an entrepreneur. You can offset all your costs before you pay your tax. So you pay tax last, whereas when you're employed, you pay tax first. So that structure of being uh, an entrepreneur and self-employed really suits me and my desire to have variety, to be creative, to try stuff. So my personality is that I like to do lots of things. I like to juggle things. Um, And and again, that had downsides because I thought, well, I never really knew what I wanted to do because I'm not the kind of person that wants to be one thing. And I always felt like society is geared towards people who become great at one thing. Tiger Woods at golf or, you know, Steve Jobs or whoever. Um, But to be a generalist, kind of you were penalised in a way by society, except if you're a business person. You need to be a generalist if you're a business person. You need to understand marketing, sales, finance, accountancy, um, you know, vision, strategy, leadership, management. And that suits me. 
And so if anyone's listening who has that need for variety and can never really stick to one thing forever and doesn't want to be molded or pigeonholed, then run your own business because that's really the only way you're going to ever be able to do that. Um, but what you don't want to be is a spinner of all plates and a jack of all trades and a master of none. So what I learned, thanks to really a lot of help from my business partner, is each time I want to do something new, make sure I leverage what I've already done. So build a property portfolio, then sell properties to other people, and then set up a letting agency, and then write a property book. And, and all those business models are new, but linked to each other. So I can borrow, because if I went from property investor to um, skincare specialist, to Reiki healer, I can't carry any of my experience into those new models. Um, but no, I never knew what I wanted to do at school, really. I was always, I was one of those kids that was pretty good at a lot of things, but never really good at anything. And I always envied the people who were great at one thing. I wanted to be rubbish at everything, but a master of one thing, and I never achieved that. But I wanted what everyone else was, instead of what I am. Uh, and now I, can, I would call myself a specialist generalist, or a generalist specialist. Um, and that gives me freedom, choice, autonomy, um, and because uh, I, I can go and create a load of chaos, I can start things whenever I want, and that's exciting. Mm, absolutely, and uh, you know, common with with many entrepreneurs, I would imagine, as you say, that that whole either generalist specialist or specialist generalist. <laughs> um, how do you then turn that into taking focused action that actually gets you some of it somewhere? Because so many people go out there with tons of ideas, start loads of things, don't finish things don't focus on something long enough and think things aren't going to work and move on and all that sort of stuff. And so they've got a similar outlook in terms of wanting to do all this stuff, but actually it doesn't ever work because of that too. How, how have you turned that into actually making it work for you and becoming successful? Uh, by embracing the paradox of starting new things that can be successful for you and carrying on doing what you've done that works. So I see some people that do the same thing over and over and over and over again, maybe in a bored, monotonous way without any energy or effort, and that often doesn't work for them. Conversely, there are some people who master one craft and become the best at it, and that works for them. Um, but in my training and coaching space, if you like, it's quite common for people to be the course junkie or the chasing the shiny pennies, as they say. And I think you've got to embrace the, the paradoxical balance so on the one hand, when an opportunity comes up, you've got to grab it, but you've got to work hard enough at it, long enough at it, um, well enough at it, get experienced enough at it to make it pay. And so I've resisted the urge to stop, start, stop, start, stop, start too frequently um, and do it frequently enough to meet my needs, but not too much that you can never make a go of it. You know, you don't plant a seed and expect a tree the next day. So I, I do give new things long enough to mature. And so for me, my threshold of boredom or desire to set something new up, it might be two to five years, whereas it used to be two to five weeks or two to five months because I had unrealistic expectations and because I was impatient. Um, so it's bal balancing persistence with patience. All the forces which people are trying to say is right or wrong or left or right, you've got to balance them all. Impatience can be good because it can make you work harder, but too much impatience and starting and stopping and starting and stopping can can have the opposite effect of um, completely stunting your progress. So yeah, it's balancing those forces. And you talked about having a business partner who, who sounds like is quite different and has been able to sort of balance your personality. How important is it work to work with other people and, and the right people? Vital. 
vital. There is no such thing as self-made. Um, no one is self-made. Everyone is self-learned. Okay, you might have got yourself out of debt and started with no money and figured out how to build your business, but you've relied on partnerships, staff, collaborations, outsourcers. You, we all rely on other people. So actually, business is not about doing it on your own. It's about building good relationships with smart people. Now, I believe it's smart to leverage the experience of smarter, more experienced people than you in the areas where you maybe don't have a passion or you don't have a skill or you don't even you know, have any kind of desire. I have no desire for sort of finance and accounting. Uh, I have no desire for contracts and legals, but they have to be done. And if I if I'm naive that I think I can build a great business without executing them professionally, then I'm going to fail in business. But if I don't want to do them, then I, I need to get other people to do them. Because what I think a lot of self-employed people do who stay really small is they have to do everything and they become a jack of all trades and a master of none. They hate their business because they're doing a lot of the stuff that they hate. But what they don't realise is you can have everything in business. You can do what you love and outsource what you hate. You can do what you're good at and outsource what you're not. But that is based on your relationships with people, with partners, with staff, with outsourcers. And you know when people say um, business is people or their business is a people business? I think that's what they mean. So I have 80-odd staff, I have probably the double that, who are outsourcers who work with us. I see myself as working for them, not them working for me. Um, I have partners, I have a business partner. Um, I have an MD who I regard as a business partner. It's vital. And I'm, I'm the sort of person, whilst I like to do a lot of things, I am quite good at a few things and I'm terrible at a lot of things. And so I just figured out, get out of the way of doing the stuff that I'm terrible at because I will ruin my business if I have to do that. Or I will just, you know, hate my life. So that's where a business partner comes in. It's vital. And I, I did have businesses before I was successful. And that was in art and that was in pub, being a pub landlord, and that was in being an architect. Um, and when I did my art, I was good at art, but I was terrible at getting in front of gallery owners or agents. I was terrible at marketing and promotion. So I never did it because I was an artist. So I was good at painting, but I couldn't sell any of them. Now, if I was doing it now, I'd partner with someone who's a great um, agent or is really well connected with a load of Russian art collectors or whatever, and I'd, I'd give them 60%, I'd give them 70%. Um, because I can leverage their skills and their resources and their contacts. And I think, you know, there's a lot of information out there. Hustle, graft, you know, work really hard, grind it out, 10, 15, 20 hours a day. Not, at the very best one-sided advice, at the worst, bad advice. Um, learn from the mistakes of others. Leverage the experience and resources and contacts of others. Uh, and um, you'll get further ahead. No man is an island and no one is self-made. Mm -hmm. and that's a nice link into uh, my next question, which is about what you do on a day-to-day -day basis. So you've already told us you don't do things that you're not good at and that you don't want to do. I try not to. I sometimes get sucked into them. <laughs> we know you've got loads to do. So how, you know, what, what do your days look like? And I bet they're all different. But, you know, give us a flavour of, of, of the sorts of things that you are doing. Okay, so they're actually not all different, and this is important. So another paradox that goes on in my life is that I love the freedom to do what I want, but I need the structure, otherwise I just end up chasing a load of butterflies. And so I've tried to become more self-aware of that. 
uh, over the last, say, decade. So I've written a book called Routine Equals Results, which um, helps people create their own bespoke ideal diary structure. Now, it's different for everyone, Joe. So if you're an early bird or a late owl, it's different. It, depending on when you go to the gym or what kind of foods you eat, um, you know, or what business you're in. If you work from home, you could be a bit more flexible around meetings. But if you're in an office, you have to have your meetings nine to five. Um, so I did a lot of testing of eat, of sleep. Because by the way, you know, some people say you've got to have eight hours, nine hours, six hours sleep or whatever. But the reality is it's individual. You know, if you do a load of exercise and you're really active, like me, I'm always going, I'm always fidgeting, my legs are always going. I need eight and a half hours sleep. I need it. I've tried to do less and I can't. Now, you know, Margaret Thatcher and Donald Trump apparently survive on like four or five hours sleep. I'd love to, but that's them and, and not me. So I've done a series of tests, probably over a six month ish period, maybe uh, longer, years ago, to work out my ideal day. And, and that is when I put vision, strategy and key result areas into my diary, when I have meetings, when I have calls. I always do calls in the car um, so that I'm not killing dead time and I'm leveraging time. Um, when I go to the gym, uh, when I do my personal stuff, when I spend time with the kids, when I spend time with my, my um, wife, etc. Um, and Routine Equals Results, my book, shows you how to do that for you. I mean, I, some people ask me, oh, Rob, take us through your whole day. I think it's boring. You don't want to know my whole day. But I do have my coffee at the same time. I do have my meetings at the same time. I do have my calls at the same time. I do do my own work at the same time. I do take time off at the same time. I do spend time with the family at the same time. I do do golf with my kids at the same time. Now, I have three different structures. One for when I'm abroad, because I travel three months of the year. Uh, one for when the kids are on holiday. So those sort of eight, ten weeks is different. And then one for the rest of the year. Mm, mm. I, I think that's all, so much of that is so key. Uh, the, the one I talk about a lot is exactly what you said about how it's so individual. And you talked earlier about people being sort of course junkies or maybe they're book junkies or whatever, and, and constantly reading about what everyone else does. And that's great to give you those ideas, isn't it? But it, ultimately, it comes down to what works for you and what works for one person doesn't work for another, does it? Yeah, I think a lot of people, you can have the too many mentor syndrome, the reading too many books. Now, uh, this is, again, a paradox, because on the one hand, I don't think a, a, a book is ever wasted because some of that is going to lock in the back of your sub subconscious mind and the parts of your brain that spot opportunities are going to be able to um, tune into what you've learned. So a lot of people are like, oh, well, it's all about action. It's all about action. Take massive action. A book's useless without action. Well, it's not useless without action but it's more useful with action. But you've also got to know how to apply the information into your world. So yes, you should listen to smart people. Yes, you should have mentors. And yes, you should take advice because you can learn from everyone. I fully believe that. But I'll give you an example. I know Grant Cardone quite well. Um, I've interviewed him for my podcast. I've spoken on stages with him. I've had a lot of time with him. And he talks about that um, you should never own a house. You should only rent a house. But actually, that doesn't really apply to the UK market. It mostly applies to the US market. Um, and I know strategies that can make you have a house that you live in free. In fact, you can have tax breaks on it. Um, so I listen to a lot of what Grant says, but I don't listen to that because it's not relevant in the UK or in my world. So listen to everyone. And by the way, you can learn from mentors, but you can learn from anyone, even people who are supposedly beneath you. Um, be this open-minded, humble student, but you've got to have the critical awareness to go, fine, but that doesn't work in my world. Or that, that's fine, but I can't do that now because I'm busy for the next three months doing that. Mm, mm, yeah. Some gardeners have just appeared in my garden, thanks to my mother-in-law. Oh. <laughs> so oh. I'm hoping it's not too noisy. <laughs> Oh dear, you can't uh, plan these things, can you? Um, yeah, exactly. And and I, 
you know, I, I think learning is so important. But as you say, the, the real key is that that action, that um, that really testing stuff out and, and implementing so that you get what's right for you. Definitely. Yeah. So just quickly, Joe, I think a nice little model is learn, test, review, tweak, repeat, learn, test, review, tweak, repeat, learn, test, review, tweak, repeat. Some people learn, 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 learn. But some people do, 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 do. But if you do before you learn, you can crash and burn. Um, and if you don't tweak, then you don't improve. So it's not binary. It, you, you need to do a bit of everything. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the tweak bit is so key. I and mean, I, I sort of spend so much time slightly changing things that I do because they don't work as well as they did before or, or whatever. And as you say, I think some people get quite dogmatic about, well, that's how I do it. And they continue to do it the same way. And, you know, the world changes, the life cha your life changes and things change that mean you do need to co constantly be aware that perhaps what you were doing is not the best way to do it moving forward. Yes, and paradoxically, don't become a perennial tweaker. Um, that it just becomes procrastination all the time because you want to be perfect because that's just as bad. Yeah, exactly. Well, I'm, I'm quite proud of the fact that I've stayed with my same to-do um, tool. I use Todoist for years now. I used to be the one that used to get, you know, the Filofax, the Scion, the, the um, yeah. you know, I know yeah. all, all of the different time management uh, things. And I used to have lots of fun organising myself. And then, uh, and then not doing anything because I was too busy organising myself. But now, <laughs> I actually get stuff done because I don't do that anymore. <laughs> so, one of the, the way you talk about uh, a paradox, you're talking about, you know, uh, the whole thing about uh, learning. Um, you know, and you can just learn and not do. Uh, and you know, books aren't bad per se. Of course, the paradox for you is you've written fifteen, <laughs> so um, you, you you wouldn't, you know, want to criticise these books anyway. Um, well, how I mean, how could anyone say that a, that books don't work? I mean, that, that would just be a nonsensical statement, wouldn't it? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So uh, you've mentioned a couple already. I know you've got one that's due out very shortly. Tell us a bit about what that is. OK, so I have one that's out on Audible as we speak. Maybe when you go live with this, Joe, it might be out on paperback, um, but it's out very soon. If not, it's actually you can get it on pre-order and it's called I'm Worth More. Um, and so realise your value, unleash your potential is the subtitle. Now, some people feel it's maybe a little bit of a um, crossroads for me because my previous book was Start Now, Get Perfect Later, all about practical time and life management. The one before that was Money, No More, Make More, Give More, which is, again, practical about money. And this, you might argue, is a little bit more um, holistic and maybe conceptual and maybe personal development-esque. Uh, but I feel, it, feel it's probably the book out of all of them that I've written that's going to do the most good in, in the world uh, because I believe that your net worth is directly linked to your self-worth and I believe that everyone's going to live a, happy, a more happier, balanced life if they learn to appreciate themselves, congratulate themselves, love themselves and learn to have a stronger sense of inner confidence and value. Mm, mm, absolutely. And uh, something that doesn't always get uh, taught to our children, does it? I have so many conversations with podcast guests where we say, you know, now we're this age, whatever age we're at, uh, you know, if only we'd known then what we know now, you know, all that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. 
100%, like so much of the stuff we need to know for real life is not taught at school. And now I'm not one of the people that slates the school system. There's so many great things that they do do. I mean, it, it's the bedrock of society in many ways, but money management, emotional management, um, you know, your de development of confidence as a human being and knowing your value and knowing what you're good at. I think there should be more education around that. But instead of moaning about the system, I just started to write books on it. I have a bit of a theory. Having I, I work on on the other side of my business, I, I specialise in employee engagement, and I work in corporate uh, organisations training and that sort of thing. And th there's obviously a big debate around the whole millennial mindset in comparison to the other generations, and the fact that we've got the five generations in the workplace working together and all that sort of thing. And then talk about you know the millennial thing about maybe um, them being a snowflake generation because they've been overprotected and everything else. And some of my theories starting to develop around the fact that I think actually the, the, the younger generations are a lot more self-aware than we were. They're not there yet, but I think some of what, what they get criticised for is actually about them being a lot more aware than, than we give them credit for. Mm. Discuss. Um, yeah. <laughs> so I guess in some circumstances labelling generations may be necessary or beneficial but I'm really not into taking a, a whole five or ten year age group and banging one label on them and telling them that this is how they are because I think that everybody's individual I mean I've got someone who works with me Kieran who's what 25 he, he doesn't know life without social media and he's a really smart guy and he's not entitled yeah, and, he, and he's not what people say millennials are, but of course that does exist too. So for me, I, I'm trying to judge the individual. I know some really smart young people. I, I know some slightly entitled people who are, who are a product of their generation. We're of course all a product of our generation and our upbringing, but for me, I judge the individual. So sorry that it's maybe not the answer you were leading towards. It's not my work or my world. I mean, if I was writing books on it or if I was in government trying to figure out how we, you know, finance and tax and guide a generation, you know, like, for example, the baby boom generation, we've got to figure out how to um, keep them sustained. Now life, now people are living much longer, then fine, let them do that. But it's just not my game. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I, a lot of what I talk about is I don't think people are after different things now than anybody ever was in the past. It's just because the world changes, what's possible changes too. So, you know, there's a big talk about flexibility in the workplace and how people want that and are demanding it now. Well, we always wanted it. We just couldn't have it because the world wasn't ready for it sort of scenario. Yeah. So I, I agree with you. I think it is, well, it's like everything. It, as we said at the beginning, it is about treating people individually and uh, and actually maybe some of that criticism is because it's you know homogeneously saying they're all the same and perhaps I'm treating people individually and seeing people like you that aren't the same in which case you know it's it's probably a non-discussion <laughs> well look, I get it when you when you're working it, like geographically with large segments of society you have to generalize a policeman has to judge if he thinks this person is a, a, a very dangerous criminal and there's going to be some stereotypes and some past experiences in there. So I get it. I'm not saying that that's wrong. It's just wrong in my world or something I, tr I try not to do um, because I deal with individuals. Yeah. Yeah. So let's talk practically about um, 
tools and apps that you use that that you'd recommend that help you to do the things that you want to do what's your sort of top three tools that you use yeah i'm not really great at all that i mean my team use trello a lot um, for internal communications and for um to do um and task management and they 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 swear by that um for me most of my apps are social media apps um, I, I use Evernote for all my notes and tasks. I think it's, I like it really simple, Joe. Um, so I, Evernote's probably a big one. Um, I obviously use um, all the social media apps because I, obviously social media is a, a big part of my world. Um, but that's re it really. I keep it quite simple. Obviously, I use Outlook, uh, which is really good for calendar and email. But there's so many of those. But unlike you, who's maybe an app fiddler, I'm the opposite. Like, I just don't want, I, 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 I don't want to learn it all. So, yeah, look, if I went through my phone, I'm live in at the moment, so I can't. I, I use Control 4 for my um, home automation. Um, I probably use GoToMeeting and GoToWebinar um, a, a lot for, you know, global communication. Uh, but, yeah, that's probably it. Nothing revolutionary, I'm afraid. I've never been called an app fiddler before. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that could be taken out of context. <laughs> Having said that, I think you're way ahead of most of my guests. Most of my guests' first answer is paper and pen. So uh, you are you're yeah. quite technical, especially with a home organisation thing going on as well. <laughs> yeah, well, that's good. I mean, the, the important thing for me is I can access anything anywhere. So, yeah. you know, having a remote drive um, or everything in the cloud and everything synced up with your phone, your Mac and the office server. And I just got my team to do that because I don't know how to do that. Um, that for me is important. Um, yeah, I'll tell you what, um, if I went through, Joe, my phone after we finished this live, I bet I'd find loads. Um, <laughs> yeah, exactly. But still not as many as me, I'm sure, because my daughter laughs at me. She gets traumatised that I haven't got them all organised into folders and things because I've just got pages yeah. of them. <laughs> Yeah, you can get sort of a bit overwhelmed, can't you, with all the apps on your phone? And, well, you, you know, can, like... but you see, I use the search, so I don't care what, where they are, where they're hidden, right, as long as yeah. I can find the ones I want just by searching for them. And that, I think, is the way that the world has gone now. We, we You know, emails, we used to organise everything into folders, didn't we? Maybe you still do, yeah. but, uh, you know, it's all about just using search now. The power of search has, has made a massive true. difference. Very true. I mean, I do use WhatsApp a lot for communication. Obviously, yeah. that's a, a, I should think a lot of people use that. And I use that for business as well with WhatsApp groups. So that's pretty effective. Yeah. Yeah. So tell us a bit, a bit about keeping yourself sort of fit and healthy to do all this, because you've talked about your book and how you did a lot of research on yourself. And you obviously have a lot going on and you've got your routines that you've talked about. Um, is that something that you focus on or is it that you've just got it set up now so it just sort of ticks along and you don't need to think about it, you know, getting your eight and a half, half hours sleep and that sort of thing? You've you've sort of done that bit and the routines are there now. Yeah, I've built those in. So it's important to me that I go to the gym a lot. Um, for me, it's, it's weights and resistance stuff as opposed to cardio stuff. Um, though I do do some sparring from time to time. Uh, and so like, I, I like to get that four to six times a week. That's pretty important. That's got to be in there. I'd say I eat good but not great. So mostly I eat pretty healthily and I think that's pretty important too. Um, you know, health is wealth. And as I turn 40, um, I, I maybe have become a little bit more aware of that. Now, if you've got the younger listeners, I'm going to sound like an old man, but, you know, you can't get that back. 
Um, I did get a few weeks of migraines and a few little palpitations. Um, I think because at certain times I do, do get overwhelmed because I like to do lots of things and I like variety and I wanted to have my biggest year this year in business to exceed more than 20 million pounds in um, turnover for one of my companies, not including the property portfolio and everything else. So um, I put a lot on my plate and I tend to say yes more than I say no. So if I could summarise, what would, what would make me healthy and balanced would be pretty good diet, um, the, the right exercise at the right time in the day, not overwhelming myself by learning to say no to the right things. I would say, you know, a decent amount of time with my kids um, and family because I, I, I'm obsessive about work because I love it. It's my greatest passion. So sometimes I just I could go three months and have just been in it all the time. So a bit more balance there. I've just um, I've been trying to figure out meditation. I've done visualization for the last 13, 14 years, pretty much every day, but not really meditation. And um, and then also just trying to do a bit more of my hobbies because I've got a lot, quite a lot of hobbies. I like doing a lot of things, but I love business more than anything else. So my default is just to do that. So I'm trying to do that a bit more. Um, and, and that would be balanced for me. I do like to travel, but not too much. I do like to um, I've got a bit of a supercar collection and I do I do like nice material items a watch collection and sort of try and enjoy those and from time to time treat myself a little bit uh, so I bought a Lamborghini Aventador and a Ferrari in one week um, last year a bit of a treat for a good year um, and but that's important to me and like I think it's okay to admit if you want a nice house or a nice car and don't deprive yourself of that because we're British and society will judge us. Um, tonight I'm taking someone to a school prom so I got messaged by one of my podcast listeners who's local, I don't know them and they just said look my um, uh, son has a really hard time at school, has a lot of learning difficulties, absolutely loves cars, he doesn't know I'm messaging you but look could you... Um, pick him up from Peterborough and drop him off at Stamford. It would make his life. Um, and and um, I get to do things like that. So I'm doing that tonight. And I'm not posting it on social media or doing a video on it or trying to use it as promotional material. Um, but, you know, like I try and do a lot of that kind of stuff. Um, have a foundation. So I try and, um, you know, give back as much as I can. I probably do two or three 15 minute calls a day to people who are struggling. And I'll say to any of your listeners, if anyone's really struggling, overwhelmed, depression or worse, um, financially in a lot of shit. I'm not saying I'm a miracle worker, but I'll give anyone a 15 minute call. I'd need to book it in the diary first. But, you know, because um, so um, making money feels good, but helping people feels amazing. And so I try and balance those as well. So all of that. Sorry, I was a bit rambly, Joe, but all of that would be a balanced life for me. Now, I can tell you're a great podcaster. You've brought that right the way back to what we said at the beginning about filling that void. So well done. <laughs> um, last two questions then. So firstly, what do you do when it goes all horribly wrong, when you have a terrible day and nothing's going right? How do you deal with that? Um, I try not. I try to stop beating myself up because I'll start that because that's a pattern of mine. Um, but I'm better at stopping myself doing that now. And I'll try and figure out what I can learn from it why am I responsible for it? What decisions can I make differently? And then I'll have a go, I'll have a go the next day. And that's it. Um, I, you know, like I'm much better, much better 
at getting over myself and trauma and difficulty and bad days. You can only have a bad day for 24 hours and then you've got another chance to make it better. Um, but all of us do repeat certain patterns of bad decisions and we attract certain things into our life. And, um, but I'm a pretty good analyzer of what I've done wrong to try and figure that out. Um, but key for me is don't beat myself up about it. Try and learn from it. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. And then the last question, those days where you live more, which is where you get to do more of the things you want to do and less of the things that you feel you should do or you have to do. What does that day look like? Um, there's got to be a bit of work in it because I love work. For me, my um, <laughs> profession and passion are the same thing. There's got to be a bit of golf in it with my son. Uh, there's got to be a bit of, um, I've got to buy something nice, maybe some clothes from Alexander McQueen or something like that. I've got to be around people, my staff, my followers, and I've got to have some engagement with them. Um, I've got to have some big idea uh, that I'm concocting. I'm a bit of a schemer. I'm always trying to concoct the next big idea. I've got to be able to have my creative juices flowing. Um, I've got to watch a little bit of Netflix. And then I've got to top the evening off with something that I probably couldn't say on this podcast. But I've got to do that as well. And it has got to be daily and not just on my birthday. Just saying. <laughs> I think that's a first on this podcast. So thank you, Rob. <laughs> um, it's been brilliant talking to you. Tell people how they can find out more about you and connect with you. Uh, so um, you can find me on any social. My name is Rob Moore. So Rob Moore or Rob Moore Progressive. You can find me on Facebook, Instagram. My podcast is called The Disruptive Entrepreneur. Uh, and my latest book is called I'm Worth More. That's where you can find me. Just search my name. Brilliant. Thanks, Rob. It's been great fun. Thank you, Joe. Take care. All this information is available in the show notes, which you can get to if you use the link powertolivemore.com forward slash, in this case, 114. And this week, I just want to briefly talk about being prepared in case of issues. Uh, and my issue yesterday was that I was recording four podcasts in a row. So um, firstly, I've gone and changed the way that people can book into my podcasts because I had them set up to just book in for an hour at a time. And because I almost take up an hour in every case when I interview my guests, uh, by the time we've done the chit chat at the beginning and at the end, I found that back to back interviews was quite hard work. So I've added 15 minutes at the end of every booking now so that if somebody books in at say one o'clock, the system won't let anyone else book in till 2.15 so that it will guarantee me a break on those heavy recording days. So that's something to think about, that when things aren't working for you, how can you change your process to enable that to work better? And secondly, in the middle of my third podcast yesterday, we had a power cut. And luckily, we carried on recording because my uh, well, in fact, sorry, no, we didn't carry on recording. To begin with, I thought we'd carried on recording, so I hadn't realised it was actually a power cut. I thought it was a power surge. Then I realised that my laptop was still working, but my screen had gone off, my second screen, because that's powered by electric, which then prompted me to realise that obviously my internet had gone off. But because I have uh, a mobile internet, I thought that was going to be fine, because I work away from home quite a lot. So I tried to use the mobile internet but that also wasn't working and uh, Ellie my daughter said that her actual phone wasn't working so not wi-fi but actual uh, phone signal so there was clearly something around electric and the phone signals as well because that was two different providers that weren't working at the same time but I 
I say luckily, but actually through planning, also have another option, which is that I have an iPad and I have a SIM card in that and I have a separate account. So I have uh, my home internet and my mobile internet, uh, an iPad internet and also my phone internet. So uh, because my phone was actually working. So I actually use the the iPad I tethered to that. And I was able to continue then talking to my guest and we, you know, kept going with the interview. And then I did a fourth interview using that setup. And actually, rather frustratingly, the electric came on in the middle of it. And then my printer went loopy for about three minutes whilst it was doing its reset process, uh, which was a bit annoying. But I just muted. So hopefully you won't hear that in the podcast. But it just reminded me how thinking ahead about sort of all eventualities to enable you to keep working as a, a, a home-based business owner is really important. And, um, you know, we didn't always have all those options, partly because technology didn't exist, but also because it didn't really cross my mind. Uh, and it's only because I've had different things happen that's um, made, you know, made me think about these things. And also because I do travel a lot and I work in my caravan in the summer um, fairly often and I needed options for that that's why I've sort of put those in place. But if you're somebody who's home-based and you don't really go out of the house very much when you're working, you might find that actually only having that one internet connection can cause issues. Now, we don't really have power cuts that often in the UK. I can't remember the last time that I've experienced one that I didn't know was happening. Um, But actually yesterday, you know, it would have been a real problem because half of my interviews wouldn't have been able to be completed. But as it was, I was able to carry on. So where is it in your business where you have potential uh, sort of weak points, if you like, if something goes wrong, something that you can sort of predict, um, but can't really stop? And where wherever those things are what can you do to give yourself some contingency you know large corporates do contingency planning they have people responsible that spend sort of hours a year coming up with a plan of how would they continue operating if their systems went down or if their building caught fire or if they were flooded or, or whatever it might be um, I don't think as small business owners we think about those things so often until they go wrong the first time and then perhaps we start to think about it to avoid it the second time but yeah I just challenge you to have a think about what do you have in your business where you have some potential uh, issues without having a contingency plan and what contingency plan can you put in place it doesn't have to be you know a written plan like they have in corporates I mean that's obviously for uh, reporting purposes and, and reassurance for people but you know for yourself um, it might just be knowing what you would do you know that you just up sticks go to your local coffee shop and you know that you can get electric easily there because they're very helpful and friendly and the sockets are you know prevalent I mean how annoying is it when you go to coffee shops and you can't find them or there's just one and somebody's already got there before you <laughs> but you know what what plans do you have to um, help you if some of these situations arise so this week's all about contingency planning again the show notes for this week's show are at powertolivemore.com forward slash 114 and we look forward to speaking to you next week use your power to live more 